With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need it fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Hi there, Reds fans. Has it sunk in yet? Welcome to 1865, one of the top 40 football podcasts in the UK. Now, if you're new here, then welcome. And if you're an established listener, thank you for joining us once again for this Forest Ramble as we celebrate the Reds' promotion to the Premier League. Coming up in today's show, we have reflections on Sunday's big day out and the subsequent celebrations. We look ahead to Forest's forthcoming Premier League campaign. That sounds good, doesn't it? We've got interviews with City Grand Stadium announcer Mark Dennison and football journalist and Forest fan Nick Miller discussing why the media are so happy that Forest got promoted. Plus, we have a Forest quiz, Jeremy Davis's end of season sketch, and the views of the fans. All coming up in this edition of 1865, the Nottingham Forest podcast with me, Rich Ferraro. Right, let's say a big hello to Tom Newton. Morning. Greetings to Stephen Topless. Hello. And welcome to Premier League Baz. Hey all. <laughs> right. Um, before we get started, I want to say a big thank you to 1865 Dad, who, who very generously passed up his chance to go to Wembley so that his two sons could go together. So, so Dad, thank you very much. I really appreciate it. And uh, Baz, you also have uh, is a memorable day for more than one reason for you. So uh, uh, have you got anything you'd like to say to Mrs. Baz? <laughs> well, yes. So it was actually my uh, wedding anniversary, 19th wedding anniversary. Um, I did say to her, um, we should go together because it'll be like a fantastic celebration. And she actually said, uh, no, just go on your own. Um, although she did milk it for the entire week going going beforehand, uh, saying, um, I can't believe he's leaving me. And then my friend said, I can't believe I'm getting a beating on this day when Baz has abandoned you to go to Wembley. <laughs> yeah. And and speak, speaking of wives, I, I want to mention um, Mrs. Ferraro, who really, really wanted to go, but um, obviously she's quite galled when she was watching on the telly and saw that there were empty seats in the Huddersfield end. Now we haven't got time to have a discussion about that today and there's probably a whole other discussion we could have but um, yeah uh, so what we want to do today is to celebrate and to reflect but we don't want to rub it in for those people who weren't there. Now 
Stephen, it would have been very easy for you to not be there because you hadn't planned this and you had quite the weekend, didn't you? I did. I was in Glasgow on a stag do on the weekend from the Friday through to the Sunday. Um, when all the stag arrangements were made, there was absolutely no chance that Forest were getting into the playoffs, let alone the final. So absolutely no concerns there. But then getting through to the final meant that I had to find a way of getting to Glasgow from London in about five, six hours, which is nigh on impossible by road or by train. So I ended up flying at nine in the morning from Glasgow Airport to get down to Wembley in time. So I was picked up from Luton Airport on the minibus and on to Wembley. The best thing about it, actually, the flight from Glasgow, there were Forest fans on there in their Forest shirts getting ready to go down to Wembley, which I thought was great. But it was an incredible day. Thank you to the Stag and the lads as well for giving me their blessing to to go to Wembley. They basically said to me, you've got to be there. You can't miss it. So thank you to them for, for that. Um, I'd do it a million times over. It was incredible. <laughs> Should be um, like a, a British road movie or have it John Candy on board. It's like um, it's all set up for a perfect film. <laughs> so I do have to ask you as well, um, which was the better day, the stag or Wembley? Wembley. <coughs> Wembley. <coughs> <laughs> OK, your secret's no safe with us. No one else is listening to this. It's OK. Um, all right. So having... Having said that it was quite the day, let's get started because we do need to talk about this. Um, We did a match report on the day, which Baz and I recorded before, during and after the game. But there is obviously an elephant in the room. And Tom, could or should Huddersfield have had at least one penalty? Yes, because the first one is one of them that went to VAR. The second one, Max Lee, you can tell that he's got uh, match rustiness having just come back from his injury and he probably was unaware uh, with the Huddersfield player uh, behind him when the ball got played and he got alongside of him and um, it's clumsy at best but that didn't even go to a VAR but over the season we've had 11 or so Stonewall penalties turned down and they do say over a season and they do even themselves out so I think we're fortunate but who cares (laughs) <laughs> well, Baz, you had you had some thoughts on this. Yeah, yeah. so as Tom said, uh, that over the season they're supposed to even themselves out. All through this season, we've been saying it's supposed to even itself out, and it hasn't done. It hasn't done. It has. Well, it has now. And the other thing is, um, we had um, the Bournemouth away game. The man, the, the referee actually came to the manager and apologised for effectively costing us automatic promotion. So we wouldn't have even have been at Wembley if we could have got that penalty and capitalised on it. So, so I think, yeah, it has evened itself out this time. No, no consolation to Huddersfield fans, of course. Uh, Stephen, I mean, Baz has just mentioned the, the Bournemouth match. Now, in a way, both Bournemouth and Huddersfield, there is a parallel, which is that although the ref's the man in charge, neither of those were necessarily the ref's fault because the ref has to make a call based upon what he sees and also the help he gets. So at Bournemouth, the linesman let him down. And for Huddersfield fans, it was the video assistant referee who who arguably made the wrong call. Yeah, it's it's it still comes down to that human decision on the day, doesn't it, really? Even if you're watching a video clip back. Um, yeah, 
feel for Huddersfield fans because if that was the other way around, we'd have been absolutely livid, especially after what's gone against us this season. So I understand their frustrations. I think the first one, you can see why that wasn't a penalty. The second one, yeah, should have been given as a penalty, in all honesty. Um, but like you say, we've we've had so many of those not go for us this season. If it means that the one in the final does and it's evened itself out, then so be it. And what I will just mention before we come to you, Baz, is that um, obviously some of the Brennan Johnson decisions you get the feeling they weren't given because Brennan was seen to go down easily. And from our, because we were quite low down near the corner flag, I wasn't at all surprised when John Moss gave it against Toffolo and gave the yellow card because what we saw was, yeah, there was a, there was a challenge in the box, but we saw Toffolo jump a million miles into the air. And so in that respect, in real time, you can see why John Moss gave it. And of course, VAR will often confirm what the referee was thinking in real time in a lot of cases. Now, there have been inconsistencies. That's a whole other story, and we're going to have to get used to that next season. Baz? Um, well, well, one of my friends, a neutral, said, and, and I'll just uh, point out, I've not watched it back because I refuse to uh, spoil, <laughs> let daylight in on the magic. Um, but one of my friends who's a neutral said, both of them, if you watch the replays of them and they're given against you, you wouldn't complain. But if you watch the replays of them and it was a different referee, you wouldn't be surprised that they're not given. So it's a 50-50, isn't it? It's just two 50-50s in quick succession. Mm. Um, and Tom, I mean, Jack Colbach admitted that there was contact, but he'd felt that Harry Toffolo had instigated it. And what was quite telling was that even in real time, both Colbach I mean, with the, the low challenge in on the day, I didn't really see what happened. I just saw that O'Brien went down. There wasn't a huge appeal, but both Colback and Lowe looked a little bit sheepish, didn't they? So maybe that tells the story. Yeah, it's the magnitude of the game, isn't it? It's like when things like that happen, You, I was half expecting John Moss to point to the penalty spot on the first one, and I was very surprised but he's obviously closer to it than the second one. I just thought it was a bit of a coming together. Then I've seen on the replay where it was, clum- like I've mentioned, it, uh, clumsy. But but yeah, like I said, we've been fortunate with it. But I, I was half expecting, if not one or whatever, that John must be pointed to the spot. So, mm-hmm. so yeah, and, the, and they did look sheepish because they know there was the contact. As? Uh, just a quick point about John Moss. I live like a quarter of a mile from his shop and apparently it's been done over. I've not seen it yet, but um, it's been done over apparently by probably assuming Huddersfield fans, but uh, that's not very nice for him after his last ever game. But um, then again, I was like, I'm going to have to go around there if, if something goes wrong. So there you go. It's um, the same, Paz. It looks like you've got a new record collection behind you all of a sudden. The Pesh Man just can't get enough. <laughs> um, and uh, funnily enough, actually, apparently, what what has also what I've also heard is that uh, there've been a lot of Huddersfield fans who've been going onto Google reviews and giving him one star reviews, and then a lot of Forest fans giving him five star reviews. So, <laughs> uh, I do have to say, the only Huddersfield fan I've had a long in depth chat with it was my trainer at the gym, and he was very very gracious and just said we didn't even expect to be there, so next season we'll go again. Yeah, and this is what I was going to come on to, which was there was a magnanimous reaction from most of the Huddersfield fans who I've who I've come into contact with. And 
Uh, we got in touch with our friend Brady Frost at the Huddersfield Fans Podcast, and he takes that chance. And understandably, Brady didn't fancy coming on to chat to us, but he did send me a message and he just said, to be honest, I didn't think either was a definite penalty when I was in the ground. It was when I came out after the game, I'd realised what had happened. But even then, we didn't really create much. And I think Carlos got his selection wrong, to be honest. Um, but Stephen, even then, we would have been aggrieved in Huddersfield fans' shoes, wouldn't we? Yeah, definitely. With a chance like that, penalties not being given, we've we've been on the receiving end of that so many times this season, and it's it's been galling enough. So, if that would have happened in the playoff final, yeah, that would have been. Um, it would have left you wondering what might have been a little bit. Um, even though on the balance of play, we did edge it and we deserve to win. Yeah, you you do look at those moments and think, oh, okay, we've we've just come down on the right side of a decision there. And yeah, I'm not complaining. Just very, very briefly, Tom, as our conspiracy theory correspondent, um, Carlos Corboran was very also magnanimous on the day. And he just said, look, we didn't, we didn't do enough in the final third. So he did ask questions about VAR, but he didn't dwell on it. Um, although there was a report said suggesting that Huddersfield are going to write to find out about why VAR was implemented or not implemented in the way it was. And of course, there's a few, there's a handful of people who are kind of moaning and grumbling and saying that they were robbed. Have you got anything to say about that? All I've got to say is that if you're going to play in a final, try and have a shot on target and they didn't. Oh, there's no. Samba, Samba's not had a save to make so um, so first and foremost it's their fault on the day that they didn't create enough to they didn't even pepper the goal did they even when Samba was injured they didn't have a shot on target so so basically it's, it's their own fault really that they've not done enough in the final to beat us Okay, and if uh, if any Huddersfield fans are listening, then Tom's address is one two three Letsley Avenue. Okay, um, let's talk <laughs> about preparing for the Premier League now. Stephen, what did you make of Evangelos Maranakis's comments on Monday at the Council House? Uh, interesting comments and very encouraging. Um, it doesn't sound like he wants to settle for seventeenth place in survival. He wants to try and establish Forest now in the Premier League and I suppose it is it's an opportunity to to try and establish and and properly draw a line under the last 23 years of mediocrity in in the Championship and League One it's the real chance now to take the club forward and I always felt this that while we were in the Championship we were always a bit hamstrung we couldn't obviously because of FFP we couldn't invest loads of money in the squad but You've always got that ceiling. If you get into the Premier League, there's a chance that you can break through, establish, follow the path of Wolves, Leicester, etc. Maybe have a bit of European football if you if you can push on uh, push on high enough. So, I'm um, yeah excited to see what comes next, and it's encouraging that he'll be willing to to invest and, and give Steve Cooper the backing he needs to to try and keep Forest in the Premier League. Uh, Tom, on that subject, I mean, Maranak has basically said, you know, there's going to be 100 plus million coming in just for being in the, you know, TV money and all of that kind of stuff. He's saying that's not going to be enough. We're going to need to spend more. So I'm guessing that that's a division between having to spend maybe 50 to 70 million 
on the playing squad, but then also maybe the same again on the infrastructure around the club, press facilities, um, other kinds of hospitality opportunities. There's the new stand, which is still being being put on hold by the three councils who are involved. So it's going to have to be spending big, but spending big in a way that doesn't create problems if the worst happens and we come back down again. Yeah, and I think it's because he's obviously got experience at Olympiacos, so he knows how to keep a team near the top and he knows that the thing is that we haven't been in the Premier League for 23 years and you've got clubs like Norwich and Fulham who have been in the Premier League come down so they've had that money to obviously um, with the infrastructure and and all of that but I I think with it it's I think it's not a match of squandering it it's like spending it wisely and I think Maranakis has been um, had like one hand tied behind his back because of FFP and that all goes out the window now. So he's got his wealth from his um, business uh, interest to actually put the money into Forest, infrastructure, facilities, playing staff. And I think I think we we have got a good chance of actually establishing Forest as a Premier League team um, in the 21st century. We've never had that opportunity because the Premier League since, what, 99 when we was last in, it's chalk and cheese, it's worlds apart, it's on a global scale now, where back then your local millionaire could run a football club. Millionaires aren't enough in the Premier League anymore. It's got to be a billionaire. And with Maranakis's um, and his staff's backing, I think we will he's got a great opportunity of establishing Forest in the Premier League. Yeah, I mean last time Forest in the Premier League we were not we were run by Irving Scholar and Nigel Ray. And, um, you know, it's, it's a different, it's a completely different scale now. And on that thing of scale, one of the things that Colin Frey mentioned during the week was, uh, you know, on a match day, you might have half a dozen to a dozen people in the press room at Forest on a match day in the championship. And that apparently you can expect like 60 to 70 in a Premier League match because of all the, all the people coming, the national press, international press, if it's a, if you're playing Tottenham, for example, there'll be loads of Korean press wanting to report on Song Hyun Min, all of those kinds of things. So it's a completely different scale. Baz, you wanted to jump in. Yeah, so as I said um, earlier, so I live, what, a quarter of a mile from John Moss's shop, so in Leeds. And so I've witnessed Leeds's ascent under Bielsa and the outpouring of grief this season as Bielsa left. And I think there's so many similarities between us and Leeds a couple of years ago. So we've got this manager who's got a very strong idea about how the team should play. We've got this connection between the city and the manager and the city and the team that this manager has brought us back this level of belief that has been lacking for years, years. But more importantly, we play with a very, very small squad where every single player basically plays the same role every single game. And what happened with Leeds is when they went up, that had them flying because no one was used to it and no one knew how to deal with it. And in their second season, they got found out and Bielsa wasn't prepared to change. And I can see something very, very similar happening to us. And the question is, will Cooper be able to deal with that second season? Obviously, I'm presuming we stay up there, but I can see us doing really, really well in our first season up. Yeah, and uh, I mean, on that topic, I think... Uh, you, we've seen we've seen it with Leeds we've seen it with Brentford first season actually in some ways is is less difficult Tom you wanted to to jump in yeah, if you look at Bielsa he's quite he's had quite a long career so 
he's probably like stubborn in terms of this is how I'm going to play and I'm not going to change. But if you look at Steve Cooper and where he's been, Swansea um, within the England setup, he's been Liverpool um, youth team, sorry, youth academy manager. I think he is adaptable and I think he's a very bright, adaptable coach. And I think he will stick to, with his how he should be played, but I think he will develop himself of that because there's been times this season where we've had to dig in and we have got results and we have played expansive football against the likes of um, Swansea home and away and other teams where we've absolutely blown teams away so I think and he's quite a young coach as well so I think he's going to be very adaptable of how he's going to get this Forest team to play in the Premier League and I think he's sometimes you have to like well we've got to like dig in here and I think it, we have got the best manager um, for the Premier League from a club like Forest. And, and just before we move on, Baz, um, one thing that I do want to point out, so obviously the transfer rumour mill is already going into overdrive and now is not the time to comment on that. Uh, pre-season, we'll talk about the transfer activity that may or may not have happened. But uh, obviously in January, it was a case of signing a, a relatively inexperienced, although not young, striker in Keenan Davis, and then signing a very, very experienced, although not that old, defender in Steve Cook. And you pointed out one of the videos that we took from near the corner flag of the players celebrating, that there's a moment in the corner of the screen where you could see Brennan was sitting down because he was just overcome with emotion. And then Cookie just turns around from celebrating with the fans and he runs to him, puts his arms around him. I think that mix of youth and experience is a cornerstone of what Cooper's done, isn't it? And that could well be, you know, the the the, the fairy dust for Forest in the Premier League, couldn't it? Yeah, and I think it's it's all about, it's always about that. It's about getting that balance right, um, and that's why. Um, again, going back to Leeds, like when they got rid of Pontus Janssen, you could argue that's that was a mistake on their part because they needed someone like him just to hold them together a bit this season. Um, and that's wherever it was. Where did he went to? Brentford. Brentford, yeah. And they said they wanted to sign him for that experience, exactly that. So hopefully the likes, if he can find the likes of Cook and whatever, especially for cheap, then that, that's going to see us through. Okay. All right. Thank you very much. You are listening to 1865, the Nottingham Forest podcast. Still to come on this Forest Ramble, we will be chatting to some special guests and Quizmaster Tom will be grilling us on Forest promotion season. You're listening to 1865, the Nottingham Forest podcast. It's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. The 1865 Sketch by Jeremy Davis. As an armchair fan, well, more of an easy chair fan, really, as I watch most of my highlights on YouTube. Easy chairs, of course, being very much the Andy Robertson of office furniture. What they may lack in style, they more than make up for with mobility. Having said that, I'm writing this from my sunbed, having flown out to Ibiza for the week with EasyJet. Very much the Andy Robertson of airlines. No frills, a bit of a bargain, and currently really unpopular in Manchester. But anyway, as an EasyJet fan, it can sometimes be hard 
to avoid feeling slightly left out when the manager is praising the fans for being the 12th man. But as this unique season approached its final act, I decided I was going to get involved, even if it were only to attempt to tune in and send good vibes. Being a Southern-based correspondent without a Sky subscription, this has actually taken quite a bit of effort and investment, so I feel like I've done my bit. Firstly, for that incredible second leg against Sheffield United, which clashed with training for my son's under-11s team, which I coach. As it turned out, the kids ended up having a match that went to penalties, and my son's team won, so in hindsight, it was a good omen. Not being a particularly superstitious type, I always find it's easier to spot omens in retrospect, much like people who claim that the UK's vaccine rollout was a benefit of Brexit, and about as credible. Tuesday also happens to be an evening when I have to cook dinner for the family, so one way or another, I knew that even with a Sky Sports subscription, like a Luton Town season ticket holder, I was unlikely to see much actual football. So I resolved to follow the match on the radio, lulled by romantic memories of the excitement of following radio commentaries in the golden age of Alan Green, when every time the ball got within 40 yards of either goal, Greeny's voice would rise an octave or two, and every hopeful punt out of defence prompted levels of excitement worthy of Maradona's second goal against England in 86, or if Stuart Hall was commentating, worthy of him being let into the family enclosure at half-time. And I'd forgotten that listening to your own team on the radio is horrible. It was further complicated by the fact that I can't get BBC Radio Nottingham in my region, and Five Live were covering some piddling little game from the top of the Premier League involving Liverpool, so I had to listen on TalkSport, which may not be behind a paywall, but was shielded by what might be called an ad wall. Now, I've got no objection in principle to commercial radio stations carrying advertising. We've all got to make a living after all. But it's not what you want when you're trying to tune in to live coverage of your football club's most important match for 19 years. When I first logged on to the TalkSport website, it was 1-0 to Forest. By the time I'd sat through ads for more cars than I will ever buy, Sheffield United were ahead on the night. Extra time was so stressful that by the time it got to penalties, I literally shut myself in a darkened room. The big day at Wembley promised a different sort of challenge, given the aforementioned trip to the Island of Dance, which was coincidentally the name of the nightclub where my wife and I first kissed more than 25 years ago, when Frank Clark was still managing Forrest, John Major was still Prime Minister, and the only conspiracy theory Matt Letizia was kept awake at night by was why he didn't get picked for England. It's not actually the first time that football has impinged upon our nuptial celebration, or uh, should that be the other way around? The day after our wedding was the 2nd of June 2002, coinciding with England's first match of the 2002 World Cup. Being in the Far East, of course, kickoff times were early in the morning in the UK, and England's clash with Sweden began as we were getting ready for a latest breakfast. For those that may not recall, England took an early lead through Sol Campbell, a footballer who, if sport and politics really did mix, would surely have been a right winger. Mind you, if any further proof was needed that football and politics don't go together, is that politicians have spent years trying to locate the all-powerful silent majority when all along they were watching Man United at home. Anyway, as it happened, the instant the header from the most conservative footballer since Peter Shilton hit the back of the net, my beautiful bride emerged from the bathroom in a brand new outfit and asked me how she looked. My enthusiastic response pleased her greatly, 
I set a standard to which I have sadly been unable to live up ever since. Knowing Ibiza's popularity with the English, I thought there were decent odds that the match would be shown at the hotel, and I was optimistic on arrival on the Saturday, as there seemed to be a lot of people in Liverpool shirts heading to one of the bars. Sadly, it turns out that the Championship is not regarded in Spain as similarly essential viewing to the Champions League, and they had no plans to screen the playoff final. Nevertheless, my fellow podders had asked me to write a piece comparing this Wembley occasion to our previous visit 30 years ago for the League Cup final against Man United, when the winning goal was created by a promising young Welsh international forward. And I thought it might be another good omen, so I wasn't giving up. I went to see the manager to plead my case, but her look of polite incomprehension did not bode well. She explained that although she had been told from on high to ensure that coverage of Liverpool's date with destiny was available to guests, they would only do so to use her term, for important matches. Showing admirable restraint in the face of such provocation, I returned to my room to see if I could access coverage online. Surely I could justify investing in a now-TV Sky Sports day pass for an occasion such as this. I duly went through the whole plodding process of logging in, signing up, resetting various passwords because I had either forgotten them or entered them wrong because the iPhone's keys are so damn small and even entering my credit card details before a message flashed up to tell me that since Brexit, I could no longer access Sky's coverage outside the UK. I briefly cursed the name of Jacob Rees-Mogg, a man so pro-Brexit he probably thought Leicester were doing their patriotic duty getting knocked out of Europe early, and then got down to the serious business of researching how to get around this. After all, I didn't vote for Brexit, so is it really fair that I should have to bear the consequences? Even as excited messages and photos started coming in from my fellow podders from their seats at Wembley, I was studying various websites to find out how I could access the coverage and how much it would cost me. I won't go into the details of exactly how I managed it, but suffice it to say, if I'd put as much effort into computer studies at school, I could have been the next Bill Gates. Eventually, I managed it and tuned in just in time to see the national anthem and the slightly surreal spectacle of the CEO of Skybet being introduced to the players. Given that when I'd last been at Wembley watching Forest in the 91 FA Cup final, the guest of honour was Princess Diana, it struck me that guests of honour aren't quite as honourable as they used to be. I'm not a betting man, but I did wonder if anyone had asked him what odds we'd have got on Forest going up when Steve Cooper joined the club. I'm guessing it would have been a pretty long shot. But that didn't put off Jimmy Garner. Just as well, though, that Yatesy was prepared to gamble. So thank you very much to Jeremy for your contributions all the way throughout the season. Uh, We'll see you in the Premier League. Now it's time for something very special. We're going to go to a stalwart of BBC Radio Nottingham, but most importantly, the man who is the City Ground Stadium announcer, Mr. Mark Dennison. Denno, how are you doing? I'm very well, thank you. And and hearing you say those words is still like, I don't know, it's still dawning on me, to be honest. But uh, yeah, wow. That's all I can say. that, That brings me to exactly where I was going to start, which was, how was Wembley for you? Um. It was, it was immense. I mean, um, yeah. I, I mean, basically, the story with with that is that um, years ago, and I hate to. Well, we can talk about it now because there's no jinxes there. Um, years ago, with Yeovil uh, and the playoffs, then 
and we know what happened. But basically, I was put on standby then to to go to Wembley and to, you know, um, I remember Mark Arthur at the time saying, look, um, we get to Wembley, the deal is that they get the announcer on from each team and you do a little bit. And I was thinking, wow, that sounds really exciting. Then we know what happened. And that was a long time ago. Um, and then when we knew we were in the playoffs after the Sheffield United uh, semi-final, um, all of a sudden I started thinking about, oh yeah, there's that thing at Wembley again. And I hadn't, it hadn't crossed my mind before, before that. And, uh, yeah, I mean, it's just the whole day was just incredible and a blur and definitely, definitely a real, not just career, but life highlight. Oh, that's that's wonderful to hear. And be honest with me, were you nervous before that day? Oh, I was bricking it. Absolutely, I was absolutely, yeah. Um, yeah, I'm not going to lie. Was it your choice to wear a suit and tie or was it someone else's? My choice, yeah. yeah. Well, uh, yeah, you look, you look the part. If you, if you, if you can't dress up for one of the biggest days of your of your career, then when yeah. can you? I guess. Well, that's it. Yeah, thank you. Okay, going back to the city ground. Um, your job as stadium announcer, you you have been doing it for a long time. Um, but just thinking about over the last few years, uh, it must feel very different doing it now to compared to the years BC before Cooper. <laughs> BC, all of that. Um, yeah, it does. And it's almost like a chicken and egg thing. So, yeah, my job is to, yeah, do the teams and to kind of build, build, help build the atmosphere along with everything else going on musically and on the screens. But let's be honest, during the dark days, you know, there's only so much building up you can do before the crowd start thinking, we all know you're not, we're not really building up to very much, are we? Um, so you've got to play quite a, there's a delicate kind of balance to be struck there. Whereas since um, October last year, and certainly since the turn of the calendar year, it's just been so different. And everyone could see what massive progress there was. I, I think, I mean, I can't speak for everyone, but it was just, it felt like something was brewing. And of course, just very quickly, uh, you were also uh, broadcasting for Radio Nottingham from the council house, and you've shared with us that you were you did a lot of it lying on your belly next to a speaker, um, which is a really dignified w- one day Wembley, the next day lying on your belly <laughs> underneath and behind a balcony. <laughs> it's yeah, I, I mean, yeah, again, yeah. Yesterday was it was all a blur, so we knew that um, uh, the the team and the um, the um, backroom staff and management. I, to be honest, I didn't know that everyone was going to be there from from Forest, but to, to see and hear the owner was was quite amazing because I thought his speech was really really interesting. It was just amazing, and you could see what it meant to players and um, all the coaching staff and the people from behind the scenes. And I think that's that's the thing for me. There are an awful lot of people that you know um, often go under the radar. And it's it's their day as well. I just want to finish off by uh, talking about talking about not you actually, but one of your colleagues. So you obviously got to have your big day out at Wembley, but but the ever modest Colin Frey, he finally <laughs> got to commentate on his beloved Reds at the National Stadium, and he's going to do so in the Premier League next year. Now, obviously, he's he's we know him as our commentator. You know him as a colleague as well. Um, 
Have you got any words for the legend that is Colin Frey? Yes, I do. Colin is just such a lovely guy. Um, as you said, he is modest. He, you know, as a commentator, he he he's actually he manages to keep things. And I know, obviously, when Forrest score, yeah, that's that's off off the scale. But he has a calmness about him. He has um, that professional kind of steel. Um, I saw him on Sunday at Wembley beforehand. We shared a bit of a moment then. We we definitely shared a moment yesterday at the council house, actually. Um, and uh, I know how much this means to him as well. And, and he was was up there, obviously, uh, yesterday doing all of the introductions to the players and the staff and... Um, he's just having the, the time of his life, and it could not happen to a nicer guy. And I genuinely mean that. He's, um, you know, local radio quite often doesn't get the, um, the recognition it deserves. But um, Colin is getting it uh, now. He's sharing in this limelight, and, and rightly so. Mm. And with all due respect to um, to Lawsy and Steve Sutton as well, I genuinely don't think there can be a better commentary team on local radio than Colin with Steve Hodge. It's just an absolute joy to listen to and, and always has been, but this season in particular, it's what a delight. Yeah. Thank you so much, Mark. Really appreciate you taking time out of your day to join us for this. Um, now, let's hear from some fans in a minute. We're going to hear from a couple of diehard Reds. But first of all, let's hear from a championship expert. Hi, guys. Elliot Jackson here from the Championship Chat podcast. Wow, what a season Nottingham Forest have had. From a, a neutral's perspective and, and a podcast that loves to cover the division as a whole, they've been a breath for fresh air and certainly in the, the top two teams of the division since Steve Cooper came into the job. What what a job he has done at the city ground after taking charge with Forest having one point from seven games. The way that he's managed to in, install a new belief, revitalise players and, and really turn around the fortunes of, of the entire club really has been brilliant to cover and watch as, as neutrals of the division. You only have to look at some of the plays he's helped to develop, some of the signings he's made, likes of Ryan Yates, uh, Brennan Johnson, who've come on leaps and bounds this season, Jed Spence. I think under Chris Hewton, one of the, the criticisms we levelled at him was when he left the club, that how many of the players that he had inherited or brought into the club, how many of those had he actually improved? And when you go through the Forest 1-11, to that played at Wembley and, and previous to that as well. I think you can almost make a case that Steve Cooper's improved every single one of those. And that is probably one of the most impressive attributes that you can uh, give and review of a manager. Keenan Davis has been fantastic. He's someone we've loved to watch. Obviously, the story behind Brennan Johnson. Uh, Joe Worrell's been fantastic. And I thought his interview post-Wembley was absolutely fantastic as well. Local lad coming through the ranks. James Garner's added a bit of quality in the central midfield, brilliant set-piece deliveries, calm and composure on the ball. And Ryan Yates, you know, not always a fan's favourite at Nottingham Forest, I think it's fair to say, but the way he's worked probably harder than most to, to improve and, and earn his stripes at Championship level, and he'll be a Premier League player next season, and I think few would argue that he doesn't deserve that based on, on this season. So it's been brilliant watching Nottingham Forest. They'll need additions in the summer, uh, left wing back replacements for the lone players like Garner and Davis if they can't get them back. But there's no reason under Steve Cooper why this team can't go from strength to strength. Um, I think that with the right recruitment and 
given the the recent record since Murphy came into the club and, and Steve Cooper as well, I think there's no reason to doubt that they would waste money as they have done in previous years. I think that Forrest can, can really take the Premier League by storm and have a really good fist of staying up and I would back them to do that. And under Steve Cooper, they've got a manager that has passed every challenge that he's been given. So no reason to believe he won't be able to do that. It's a shame we won't get to cover you next season on the podcast, but nonetheless, it's been a brilliant season covering Nottingham Forest. Thank you very much, Elliot. And in the nicest possible way, it'll be lovely not having to talk to you again next season. Now, we're going to have a chat with a Forest fan and football journalist, Mr Nick Miller. Hello, Nick. Thanks for joining us again. Hello, no problem. How yeah, it's been, a, it's been a while since we've spoken to you, and we'll come back to that a little mm. bit later on. But um, you were at Wembley on Sunday. Um, look, we're of similar vintage. You're a little bit younger than me, but was this the greatest day of your life as a Forest fan? Uh, yeah, I mean, uh, without without any question, it's just the, the the time building up to it. The the kind of I don't, you, you don't want to be too kind of. Well, I was at Doncaster in you know 2007, so I deserve this, but. You know, I think we'd all done the hard yards for this. We just, you know, we'd done, we'd done our time, and uh, we'd built up enough uh, sort of years of disappointment and um, and frustration to make this, you know, one of the. Well, yeah, as, as you say, the, the 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 sweetest moment of of my for a supporting life. Christ, yeah. I mean, at the final whistle, uh, so my seat was uh, in the row immediately behind my mum and dad. Um, who, as I said, I've been going with for, for 34 years now, almost. And uh, the final whistle, I just, uh, first thing I did was kind of try and clamber down over the seats to to get so I could stand with them. Mm. Gave them a big hug and just burst into tears. That that kind of moment of the final whistle, where, yeah. or and as you say, the half an hour, 45 minutes afterwards was, you know, yeah, it's incredible. And, and also, it's really, really important that the 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 fans have been acknowledged by the manager and the players, and and particularly the Nottingham-based players who've been through the ringer. You know, the the Worrells and the Yates who've, who've taken pelters and they've been there. And as, as Wasser said in his uh, Sky interview, we were shit. <laughs> so, so that uh, it, it was. And and Forrest, I I still believe. Okay, a lot went wrong under Sabri, but I still believe that the fans not being there was part of that. It not go, it, you know, not going well. So, just to move on from there, um, put your journalist hat on for just one second, please, Nick. Um, there have been accusations from elsewhere, including Huddersfield fans, that there's been a bit of a media bias towards Forest. I think Bournemouth fans might have said the same um, in the latter part of the season. That that kind of People referring to the romanticism of the past under under Clark in the nineties and Clough in the seventies, eighties, and nineties. Um, so, have your fellow journalists been particularly nice to you in the last few months? And do you think people are genuinely pleased to see Forrest get promoted? Yeah, I mean, particularly as uh, as um, a lot of the the, the more um, uh, what, I said like the inf- more influential journalists and editors are of our age, so they remember Forrest. You know, if they don't remember the real glory days, then they remember, as you say, Clark and Colin Moore and Bohinen and all on that team going into Europe. And Forrest are very much viewed as a top-flight club in all but name for a certain generation, which and they are the generation that kind of 
um, you know, makes all the decisions in the media. Uh, so there, are, I suppose there is that. I, I think there's the, the simple answer to whether there is a, there has been a bias towards Forrest. There has, I think, I mean, without wishing to feel the paranoia of these people, there has been, I think. It's a team that um, has not been in the top flight for 23 years. I got up against a team who have been in the Premier League in the last four or five years. So, and, you know, it's much more interesting than Bournemouth or, you know, Fulham getting automatically promoted. It would be more interesting than Sheffield United getting promoted. And so journalists tend to be biased towards good stories rather than, you know, in particular, particular teams. Yeah, and just lastly uh, for today, and, and thank you once again for joining us, Nick. Um, now, we do, I did say we'd come back to this. Uh, I think the last time we spoke to you was the morning after Ashton Gate. Was that the turning point of the season? It's always kind of difficult to, well, it's, it's always very easy, I should say, to like retrospectively apply the, you know, undue significance to games like that. But it, it did, that there was something there that, um, you just felt, yeah, there's something different here. There's something different about... It, it was almost it was not almost not quite so much how that Forrest scored two goals in injury time, but it was more the way that they kind of approached that. They didn't panic in that game. They didn't, like, you know, they didn't stick Scott McKenna up front and just start launching it, which, you know, you know even the best teams do that. Um, they just kept playing. There was tactical changes. There were three substitutions. All the, the all three substitutes were involved in the, the, the um, second goal. But they they kept playing as as they had been. Mm, yeah, and and of course, I guess there was a certain romanticism about that. Like the fact it's happening in pouring rain, wearing yeah. the high vis kit with Taylor wearing his yeah. pink hair and pink boots, and, <laughs> and the celebrations and everything. So so I can understand that. Thank you very much, Nick Miller. Now let's hear from a couple more Reds fans with their thoughts on this season. I'm not sure I have the words to adequately describe this season. From the pit of despair after seven games to end the season where and how we did is bonkers. My heart really does go out to Chris Newton, yet another manager that on paper was exactly what we needed, but she just couldn't deliver. I do hope he goes on to find success elsewhere. I really do. But he just wasn't right for us. I treated Steve Cooper's announcement and arrival the same way I treat every new manager's announcement and arrival at Forest. I wish them well, I keep my fingers crossed, and then I wait to see what they're going to deliver. And the point at which I realised something different was happening was the away game at Bristol. Lyle Taylor with his trademark cocky little strut up to take a penalty, buried it in the back of the net, and instead of celebrating, ran, got the ball, ran straight back to the centre circle. We went again and scored again. And I don't think I've ever seen Forrest do that before. They've always stopped and celebrated to our detriment at places like Derby at Reading and that was the point at which I went "Ooh, this is new after that it's just been a blur of neon orange and lime yellow 
I'm not a fan of the third kit. I'm sorry, I'm not. I like how we perform in it, but it's certainly not one that I have bought and it will never get framed and go up on my wall. But I think what Cooper has done is a miracle. And I am very cautious about using that word about anybody to do with Forrest. And I look forward to seeing what he and Dale and Mr. Maranakis come up with over the summer for us. It's going to be interesting. It's certainly not going to be an easy ride in the Premier League, but but we did it. We're there. Sadly, I wasn't actually at Wembley um, on the day. I was I was having to work, so I was at home, sat looking at my laptop. And when that whistle went and we'd done it, I picked up the phone to my sister and I just said to her, we've done it. And then we both cried about how much our dad would have loved to have been around to see this day. Don't get me wrong, he'd have had an awful lot to say about it. This is a man who thought Stuart Pearce was a thug and had absolutely nothing friendly to say about Roy Keane either. But yes, dad would have loved to have seen this. Hi, it's Adam, the cycling defender here, and I am less than a week removed and I'm still absolutely buzzing. Going through work, just floating through it, knowing that we're a Premier League club has been absolutely fantastic. Um, I think the biggest thing to look at is definitely the transition that we've gone through. Um, We we went from a team that couldn't attack to being one of the highest scoring in the division, still being able to defend. Um, obviously, with Chris Hewitt and stuff, you know, we're sat there one as soon as you go one nil down, the game's over because we're not going to score more than your opponent. We're trying to hold back, win games one nil, and you know, then you've got Cooper. I mean, I remember back to the Barnsley game, and uh, we go one nil down, and the way that we were playing, the way that we were attacking, we thought we'll get back into this, and we could have had six seven on the night. Like the amount of games that we've played, and you sit there and think we could have had seven or eight, but we've still not compromised ourselves defensively. It's brilliant. The football is the best football I've ever seen at Forest, and it's excellent to be a part of it. Um, and obviously, the highlight of that brilliant season has been capped off by playoff final win. You know, getting the playoff hoodoo gone, and hearing the final whistle blow, and looking around, you're seeing people drop to the floor in tears, and it, it means so much to every single person there. It means so much to every person in the city of Nottingham, and yeah, I personally can say that the way that I reacted to the final whistle was tears as well. But talking, you know, 23 years of people wanting to get back into the Premier League, 23 years of people hoping every single season that the next manager is going to come in and do it. And then Steve Cooper does that. You know, if I had any worse for Steve Cooper, it would it would be, you know, thank you for, not just thank you for getting us promoted, not just thank you for, you know, getting us playing good football. Thank you for uniting the city of Nottingham. You're walking down the street and you see someone with a forest shirt on, you're saying you register each other. You know, you, you're, going, you're walking into work in the morning and people are happier. Um, the city is just buzzing at the moment. And being a Premier League club will mean the world to this this city and the people that live in it. So I think it would just be a massive thank you for everything he's done, the way he's embraced the city, the way, the way he's embraced the football club, the way that even as someone not from Nottingham, he feels like he is now, he feels like he's one of us. 
no matter what happens next season, um, you know, Steve Cooper will forever be my um, favourite Forest manager. Thank you to all of our guests there, and you will be able to hear extended versions of those interviews with Mark Dennison and Nick Miller on our podcast feed in the next few days. But for now, let's move on. Now, regular listeners, you may have heard our quiz Guess That Red throughout the season. Today, we're doing something slightly different with a quiz to celebrate Forest's success this season. So over to you, Quizmaster Tom. So there's eight questions. Well, there's nine questions, actually, but if we need a tiebreaker. So basically, it's questions and a quiz all about this season. So I'll start. So the first question is, Who's who scored the goals in Steve Cooper's first win against Barnsley? Rich. Brennan Johnson, Lewis Graben and Philip Zinkenagel. Yes. Correct answer. Come to me. (laughs) Right. Question two. Which uh, outfield player after Brennan Johnson has made the most appearance in, in all competitions this season? Rich. John. Spence. No. Oh, you are Steven. Yep. Scott McKenna. Yes, with 51. Oh, Good work. Right, third question. Who scored the two goals in Forest home win against Derby in January? Stephen. John. Brennan Johnson. Yep. And Lewis Graben. Yes. All right. Question number four. Steve Cooper's win ratio is the highest since, I think it's the 1890s. But what is his win percentage? Rich. Tom? 60%. Yes. I didn't know that. I read it somewhere. <laughs> I didn't work it out in my head. Yeah. <laughs> Keep a running tally. <laughs> so, question number five. How many league goals have Forrest scored this season? Is it 73, 68, or 70? Rich, Baz. 70. Ooh, ooh. Oh, cool. I was oh, going to go Baz. Well. go Baz. What are you saying? I was going to say 70 as well. No. Crap. Well, that worked out well for both of us. <laughs> <laughs> Stephen, 73. Yes. Okay, I just want to point out, as as we've just gone past the halfway point, that Topo's in the lead with three to my two and Baz yet to get off the mark. So you're going to have to get them all right. It's like Eurovision all over again, isn't it? (laughs) You'll have to to do more than what Huddersfield did on Sunday and get one on target. (laughs) Let it go, Tom. (laughs) (laughs) So... Uh, question number six. The red brick wall of Scott McKenna has how many caps for Scotland? The near, I'll, I'll go with the nearest guess. Rich. Come on. 23. Bang on. Oh! <laughs> wow. I was going to say that at all yeah. as well. <laughs> so, so it's for real between uh, Rich and Steve and Baz's yeah. I'm under Chris Hewton. <laughs> yeah, Let it go! Yeah. <laughs> You're not allowed to cross the halfway line. Yeah. So, right, question number seven. 
Jack Colback scored a world against West Brom, but who has he made the most appearance for? Forest, Sunderland, or Newcastle? Baz. Rich. Oh. We'll go on, Baz. Us now. No. I was going to go for Newcastle. No. Stephen, can you get this? Would <laughs> <laughs> be Sunderland, would it? Yeah, just I think there's only about two games in it. He's played 114 times for Sunderland. All right. Last, if Rich gets this, then it goes on to the tiebreaker. But, so question number eight. In what minute did Lewis Graben score against Arsenal in the third round of the FA Cup this Rich. season? Come on. 83. Yes. You are the numbers man today. Every one is spot on. I'm an excellent Tom. driver. Tom, what you should have done is a sort of this out as a penalty shootout. I was going to say, if it's going to sudden death, you know what? I'm, 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 I'm pointing at my badge and I'm confident. And I'm yeah. doing jelly legs in front of Steve. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Let me, got my water bottle down here. <laughs> All his answers are on there. Every fact about Forest this season. Oh, the tiebreaker is, what is the average home attendance at Forest this season? Stephen, 28,200. Rich, you have a go. I'm not going to you. 28,300. What did you say, Stephen? 28,200. You've got it. Uh, 27,094 was the correct answer. So, Steve wins. Well done. So, yeah. Big well done to Stephen Topless for being the champion in a season of victories. And thank you very much to Quizmaster Tom for putting that together. Now, the quiz fun isn't over there because we might just have a quiz along those lines coming up soon. But focusing upon the time between Forest not being in the Premier League and going back to the Premier League. So keep an eye on your feeds for this. Now, just to move on, we asked a cheeky question in a Twitter poll, which was, well, we just put it out there. Steve Cooper is the best Forest manager since Billy Davis, Paul Hart, Frank Clark or Sir Brian Clough. Stephen, which of those would you go for? For me, it's since Brian Clough. And that's not to detract from anything that Frank Clark did because his was a, his years in charge were brilliant fantastic team great achievements but I think what Steve Cooper's achieved at Forest goes beyond results he's dragged us out of the doldrums and made us relevant again and I think the last manager to do that at Forest was Mr Clough. Baz what do you think? Um, I would say Mr. Clough, because it comes back to my thing, which is you can't tell, really tell about a manager until they're tested. And when Frank Clark was tested, properly tested, he, he struggled a little bit. Billy Davis was Billy Davis, um, but Sir Brian did, did the job when he was tested. And we don't know about Steve Cooper yet, but he's, I think he's, he's doing better than Frank Clark would do under very, very strong um, pressure. <laughs> Mm-hmm. Okay, what about you, Tom? Even though I agree with Baz and Steve, I'm going to go with Frank Clark because when he took over, the club was everything about it was Brian Clough for the 18 years he was there. And when Frank Clark came in, it was he lost Roy Keane to Man United, 
Nigel Clough, he could not stay at Forest because of obviously all the baggage with what happened to his dad in his in the latter stages. Strangler had to deal with all of that, and that basically he had to get the um, the team back in the Premier League. And at the start of the season, we was pretty much awful, and it wasn't until Lars Bahinen come in and everything clicked. But Frank Clark, for what he did from getting us from the old first division into the Premier League, a third place finish, and into the UEFA Cup in that short amount of time, I think it's a magnificent achievement, and it doesn't get uh, highlighted enough in my eyes. Okay, so um, for the record, according to our poll, 7.2% said Steve Cooper is the best Forest manager since Billy Davis. 8.9% said Paul Hart. 37% said Frank Clark. And 46.9% said Sir Brian Clough. And, you know, maybe there's a generational factor in there as well, because, you know, if you are 25 or under, then Billy Davis is the nearest thing you've seen to a successful Forest manager. So maybe there's an element there. Um, we had some comments as well. So would you kindly said Frank Clark was our most underrated manager. What he did under the shroud of Brian Clough was nothing short of magnificent. So echoing what you said there, Tom. Um, Starbridge Tricky said Clark was great, but he already had a great set of players to work with compared to Cooper. Tom says Cooper has achieved greatness, but Clark took us to third in the Premier League in Europe for the first time in about 10 years. We can't ignore that. Uh, Steve says Cooper has installed a positive mindset throughout the team, the club and the tea ladies, if they still have them. He's a breath of fresh air. And uh, last but not least, echoing what you said, Baz, uh, MechaDroid5000 says... I'm not sure you can compare him to Clark or Cluffy until he's managed in the top flight. So thank you very much for all of your opinions. So that brings us to the end of our last Forest Ramble of the season, but the podcast hasn't finished just yet. I want to say a big thank you to our 1865 crew. Also, a big thank you to today's guests, Mark Dennison, Nick Miller, Elliot Jackson from the Championship Chat podcast, Brady Frost from And He Takes That Chance, and Forest fans Kate and, again, our very own Adam. Most of all, we want to say thank you to you for listening, whether you've been with us for years or have joined more recently. If you like what you hear, please leave a review on your podcast app, especially if you use Apple, as this will help other people to find our content when we start reporting on Forest in the Premier League. This has been 1865, the Nottingham Forest podcast, and we just can't get enough. Network. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered chumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby. Mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa. Take it easy, Judy. <laughs> 
The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over a 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.